chapter 18. Acts 18 and verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law... See to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples." Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and we thank you for it, and we pray that you now minister it to our hearts and lives. Open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever wondered, God, where are you? 
You wondered where God is? Why He seems so far away? It's not something that we might readily admit in church because we know what we believe. We know that God has said to us, that He's promised to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we might think to ourselves as a good believer, a good Christian, that we're not supposed to think that God is ever far away. But I think we struggle with that. That there are times in our lives where we wonder, if at the very least, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Life sometimes doesn't make sense. I want us to see today from this passage that not only as Jesus came to Paul and comforted him with those words, I am with you, do not be afraid, that indeed God's Spirit indwells each of us who are believers, that God is also with us through His body, the church, that He ministers to us, He uses other believers who also have the Holy Spirit in them to show us in a real way His work and His presence with us. I pray that we not only realize that as we gather on Sunday, that this ministry certainly happens within these four walls. I hope that's a real experience for us. But I hope we also realize it happens beyond these four walls as well. And that we can experience the presence of God wherever we are by the power of His Spirit within us. But we can also experience the presence of God in fellowship and through the encouragement of other believers as well, as we'll see in today's text. So let's begin looking here in verse 1 of chapter 18. So Paul was just in Athens. You remember what happened there? It was kind of one of those different experiences. I mean, it was the same in that he went to the synagogue, and it was the same in that there was you know, not a real warm reception, but it was different in that there were these philosophers in Athens, and they had kind of this meh response to Paul. You know, they, they mocked him, they made fun of him about the resurrection. That wasn't so different. But the fact that they really, what, what Luke records was that they were only interested in hearing things that were new. They kind of listened to him, okay, and then they want to know what's next. And for this, and I think some other reasons, Paul arrives in Corinth discouraged. I think most scholars agree that he came here discouraged, even though Luke doesn't record it, because we see it in other passages of Scripture, particularly the epistles that Paul wrote. He refers back to this time, and we'll see that today. Paul was also, I think, struggling with some loneliness because, as we saw, Timothy, Silas, who were his ministry partners, had stayed in Macedonia. So he had come there either alone or with fewer people, and his partners in ministry, Timothy and Silas, weren't with him. In his letter back to the Corinthians, so he's there in Corinth, he's beginning the work to plant this church in Corinth, and he would later write some letters back to the Corinthians. He writes in chapter 2, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians, and when I was with you, It was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So Paul gives us some insight into what he was experiencing emotionally. Now, we've already seen that Paul wasn't perfect. You know, sometimes we do that with biblical authors. We turn them into almost perfect-like examples, and we forget that they're sinners and humans. Until we come to Romans 7, we can forget that about Paul sometimes. But we have to remember this, that Paul struggled just like you and I do. He struggled to believe. He struggled to understand what God was up to. He struggled, struggled with fear because Jesus comes to him and says, do not be afraid, do not be silent. And here he said, when I was with you, it was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And so what does the Lord do? 
Well, the Lord brings to Paul fellowship of other believers. He brings Aquila and Priscilla. And in verse 2, we see that, they, that the Lord, we don't know exactly how he joined them together, but in his providence, two people, or three people actually, uh, that had quite a bit in common but from different parts of the world, brings them together here in Corinth. Aquila and Priscilla were Jews, just like Paul was. Aquila and Priscilla were believers, just like Paul was. Every indication that they were already believers when they left Rome. They were all away from their homes. They were strangers in this land called Corinth. And they were all tent makers by trade. They shared a common craft. This companionship was not only a gift to Paul, but it was likewise a gift to Aquila and Priscilla. And that's the way the Lord works in the body. And that's why that image of a body is such a great illustration for what the church is, is that sense of connectedness, that sense of, you're, you know, it's not, not everything's a one-way street. Everything's a two-way street in the way that the Lord connects us and uses us to minister to one another. We each have different gifts. Those gifts complement each other, offset each other. Uh, we, we're, we're wired differently. We have different backgrounds. And the Lord brings us all together to work together to build his kingdom. And the reality is we're one in Christ This is what unites us ultimately. In Christ, we are one. And this is true even when we don't act like it. It is a spiritual reality of what Christ has already accomplished, that we are one in Him. And although there are times when we don't act like it, that's called sin, when we sin against each other, that we need to repent of, we are still one. And we have to come back to this truth and remember this. And this is exactly what Jesus prayed for us. He prayed not only for his disciples, but he prayed for you in this very specific way. In John 17, he prays to the Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. That's a spiritual reality. We are one in Christ. Well, what does that look like? I think when we talk about unity and we talk about oneness, we usually think about the times when we don't act like it. And I think we need to be reminded of what it looks like when we are to act like it. There are about 50 passages in Scripture that are called the one anothering passages, where we're given commands of how we're to treat one another. There are verses like Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. What does that verse imply when it says forgive one another? You're going to sin against each other. And what's the response going to be? Bitterness, anger, hatred, malice? No, we're told to put all those things off. What the body of Christ is to look like is kindness, forgiveness, tenderheartedness toward one another. Philippians 2 is another one of those passages. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. There's a countercultural statement if there ever was one. Let each of you not look not only to the interests, uh, his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
This is how we are to, to one another. What are someone else's needs? What are their interests? And one of my favorites, Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I think that if we just focused on that last statement, outdo one another in showing honor, there's a sense of almost competitiveness there that we would outdo one another in showing honor. If we just practiced on that one there, what a shining light and testimony to a dying world that would be that we would outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Consider the needs of others. We could go on and look at these one another in passages, but they are there to show us what our unity looks like, what our oneness in Christ looks like. And then the Lord brings also Silas and Timothy back to Paul in verse 5. We don't know how much time has elapsed here, but the Lord reunites them. Timothy comes from Thessalonica. Silas comes from Philippi, these two young church plants that they had planted together. And again, God uses these uh, young partners in ministry to strengthen Paul, to encourage him. But likewise, it was no doubt a source of strength and encouragement to Silas and Timothy as well. And in 1 Thessalonians, when Paul would later, and it's possible that he wrote this letter when he was in Corinth, when he would write this letter to, back to the Thessalonian church, you know, he, he didn't get to spend as much time there. And so he was concerned about their spiritual growth. Had, they, had their faith taken root? And so when Timothy came with this good news, he rejoiced. And this is what he wrote in 1 Timothy 3.6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. What that passage tells us, one, is exactly what we've seen already, that the Lord is comforting uh, Paul, uh, through the fellowship of other believers. It also shows us that he was indeed in distress and affliction, even though Luke doesn't record what those specific things were, that Paul was at this time discouraged. So take comfort in that. Paul was discouraged. Paul experienced distress and affliction, not just the physical attacks that he received. But it also shows us that the Lord brings comfort and encouragement from afar. The Thessalonian believers were comforting and encouraging Paul even though they were miles away just from the news that he received through Timothy. Our testimony becomes an encouragement to other believers. Later on when Paul would write back to this Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11.9, we also find out that he received a gift from the Philippian church. So Silas came from the Philippian church. In 2 Corinthians 11, And when I was with you and was in need, I didn't burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, Philippi, supplied my need. And he wrote back to the Philippian church a letter of gratitude. That whole letter was a letter of gratitude. But specifically in chapter 4, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So now you have believers encouraging one another over distance, but also through their financial support. And so when we look back now in Acts 18 and verse 5, we see that Paul is now able to shift his effort, lay the tent making aside, maybe not completely, partially, we don't know, maybe he remained working with Priscilla and Aquila on tents, but he was at least able to set it aside partially and dedicate himself to the ministry of the word, as verse 5 shows us. The money enabled him, but it also encouraged him. 
and encouraged him in his work. And it's a good reminder for us as we consider how our tithes and offerings are used here at Christ the King. Remember that as you pray for the ministries and the missionaries that we support, that not only are we praying for them and the work that they do, but your giving encourages them in their work. When we were serving overseas, I I can tell you how many times we looked through, either in writing notes to supporters or just looking through the list of supporters and seeing the people who were giving to support us. What a deep sense of encouragement that was. When you're experiencing dark days where you wonder why you're there or what the Lord's up to or where the fruit is, and you see that source of giving and encouragement, and it strengthens you. I don't take it for granted that I'm able to spend my time here focused on the ministry of the Word, studying the Word throughout the week, spending my time in prayer for you all, visiting you, helping work, make, make the church function, doing the things that I do. I don't take that for granted. And our ministries and missionaries don't either. And because of your giving then, they are able to go and to do the work, but also be encouraged in the work. In other words, your cheerful giving cheers on those who are doing this work in ministry. Your cheerful giving cheers them on. It gives them encouragement. It gives them a reason to keep going because they know you're behind them. And we see Paul experience this same thing through the fellowship, the sharing of life in the body with other Christians. And so in the same way that we see Timothy and Silas and the Thessalonian church and the news from them and the church in Philippi and their news and their gift that they sent and Priscilla and Aquila and all of this working together, God brings and encourages and strengthens Paul and reminds him of his presence with him through the body and the fellowship of the body of Christ. In the same way, God is using you and he's using other people around you in your life to comfort, to correct to heal, to teach, to honor, to stimulate, to love and good deeds, to show hospitality, to give, to bear burdens, to serve, etc. So consider not only how you can receive these good gifts and when you do give thanks, but consider also how you can give these good gifts. And I think just even in my short time here, if there was one exhortation beyond that, you know, it takes grace to give to others to truly, with a genuine heart, give to others. And sometimes I think that's maybe a little bit easier for us as believers than to receive grace. So let me encourage you. It also takes grace to receive. And so when you have needs, allow other believers to come alongside and help you and serve you. Discover the grace of the gospel that allows you to receive as well and not only give. It's hard. It can be humbling. But do that. Because not only does it magnify Christ, it allows other people to use the gifts that God has given them and it encourages them in their work in ministry as you've been encouraged in the many ways that you have given and served. So God is present with us through the fellowship of his body, the church. God is also present with us by his Holy Spirit, something that we already know. But clearly, Paul needed to be reminded of this. 
In verse 6, we see Paul continue the pattern of teaching in the local synagogue. He's opposed and reviled. Nothing new there. We've seen this happen in, in, in so many places. Um, something that's a little different, uh, we saw it happen in Pisidian Antioch when the Jews rebuffed him. He took his sandals off and shook the dust out of him. Remember that? Well, here he does something similar, except this time he was in the synagogue, so his shoes would have been out at the doorway. They didn't wear their shoes in. So instead, he took his clothes and he shook uh, he didn't have Altoids, but he shook the, uh, shook, sorry, I didn't know I was going to do that. Uh, he shook his clothes, shook the dirt out of his clothes and said, basically a statement of judgment, that your blood be upon your own heads. I'm innocent, and I'm going now to shift my efforts toward the Gentiles in Corinth. And so he immediately leaves and goes to Titius Justus, who lived in a very strategic location. Verse 7 shows us, where did he live? Right next door to the synagogue. Uh, Lord providentially worked all that out. So now Paul has a base station right next door. He didn't have to go far. And he connects also with Crispus, who we see is the former leader of the synagogue. He had come to faith in Christ. And so no doubt there was a strategic impact that that made. And we see that covenantal picture as well, that it wasn't only Crispus, but his entire household that responded to the gospel. And then in verse 9, this is the vision that Paul has where the Lord Jesus comes to him and says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people, or many in this city who are my people. So we've already seen in the verses that we've looked at in Thessalonians and Philippians, we saw Paul talk about his troubles and distresses and afflictions during this time when he was in Corinth. And so God not only uses his body, the church, to show his presence with Paul, but he also reminds him, I'm with you. My spirit is within you. And so because of this, he says, don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be, do not be silent. So by implication, there is some indication there that Paul was struggling with this. Paul was struggling just to shut down, to give up. This is not effective. This is not working. He was discouraged. And Jesus reminds him, I'm with you. I know that many of you have walked through dark times in your lives. Some of you are walking through struggles right now. Some of you have been walking through struggles for some time. I want to tell you today that even if God seems far off or silent, He is with you. He's with you. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if you can't see, even if you have begged Him over and over to show Himself, I've been there. I've done that. Lord, where are you? What are you doing? We, we heard it this morning in the words of encouragement from Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. There's the qualifying statement right there. He has bought you back. You're His. I have called you by your name. You are mine, God says of you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God is with you. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Over and over in Scripture we see this. We read it this morning from Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? He is with us. He will not leave us. 
Nothing can separate us from His love. So even though if it doesn't feel true, if it doesn't seem true, and in your doubting, that even in the darkest of times, in the quietest of moments, in the most intense times of pain, He is there. When Paul would later write back to the Corinthian church sometime later, he asked them this question, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? He's with you. Now before we look at the last portion, I just don't want to skip over this one part of the narrative, and that is the story with Gallio. Gallio, the proconsul, the leader, once again the Jews try to bring Paul in on trumped up charges. They tried to make it sound like treason so that, that he would have, there would be a death penalty because they wanted him dead. This wasn't just about getting Paul put in prison or getting him shut up. They wanted him dead. And look how Gallio responds. He has nothing to do with it. Doesn't, he cuts Paul off. Doesn't even give Paul a chance to speak as a Roman citizen. He says, basically, this is your own discussion. This is a religious battle. I have nothing to do with it. And he steps away. And as a result of this, and I could have almost made this a fourth point to say that God's present with us in his providence, which is true. God is working sometimes in strange and bizarre ways, and this is one, because as an outcome of this, the result of this decision, it became a, a, a precedent. That then, in this region at least, under his rule, the Jews could no longer bring the Christians back against with the same accusation because he had already made the decision. And so God in his providence set forth the opportunity for the church to grow, at least for a period of time, without the Jews continually bringing them before Gallio. So God is present with us in his providence as well. But the last point I want to make is that God is present with us through his encouragement in the body. Now, I've said God was present with us through the fellowship of the body. Now I'm saying God's present with us through the encouragement of the body. What's the difference, Seth? Well, the difference is, Fellowship is what we experience as we do life together. Um, it's that sense of community, a sense of serving one another. What, we're, what I want us to see a little bit more clearly here in this sign of encouragement is this exactness of what happens with Apollos. Now, Paul returns back. He goes, sails to Caesarea, goes to Jerusalem, back to Antioch, completes this second missionary journey, and then Luke brings us back to Ephesus. And Ephesus is where he left Aquila and Priscilla if they were planting the church there or if they were strengthening the church or if they were doing their tent-making business, we don't know. But they were there and they were a part of the church planting work. And we meet this guy named Apollos. And Apollos is an Egyptian Jew, which is almost an oxymoron in today's understanding. <laughs> uh, but in this time in history, uh, nations were known, or people were known more based not on their nationality but more on the region or the city that they were from. And Alexandria was a city where there were many Jews. It was a leading city at that time. And so uh, Apollos was a well-spoken, Luke says, well-spoken, well-studied in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of Jesus. He writes a number of complimentary things. He's fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of Jesus. But he only knew part of the gospel. He only knew the baptism of John. Now, Apollos wasn't a false teacher. He was a deficient teacher. He lacked the big picture. And so what happened, um, and let's not be too hard on Apollos here, because that's true of all of us, isn't it? I mean, 
None of us know everything completely and perfectly. If we look back, if you've been a believer 10 years and you look back at where you were 10 years ago or 10 years before that, and hopefully we can look back at this time in our lives and see how we've grown 10 years from now. Uh, So we can empathize that Apollos didn't have all of the understanding. But look at how Aquila and Priscilla respond. In verse 26, it says that they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Aquila and Priscilla dealt with Paul in a loving, or uh, Apollos, in a loving and kind and gentle way. It was humble. And I can almost be certain that this wasn't a 10-minute conversation out behind the tent after the synagogue meeting was over. That this involved some time and some energy that they spent in talking to him. Uh, nearly 25 years ago, when I was a, a, a young youth director in a small PCA church plant, um, I had my own Aquila and Priscilla, uh, Mike and Bridget. They were a part of the church, and they, uh, we were a church plant. We didn't have a building. We didn't have a church bus. We didn't have anything. So they, they shared everything. They, their house was open. We did more stuff in that house. Um, and their Suburban was the church van I used to take kids all around in. But what I, what the impact that they made in my life beyond all of that, the significance, was the conversations that we had in their kitchen. They were very hospitable. People were always in their home. I ba- oh, actually, I did live with them for a few months when I was between apartments. But um, in the kitchen, preparing meals, cleaning up after meals, they spoke into my life. They poured into my life. And although I can't remember a specific correction that they gave me, I'm sure that they corrected me many times because I was clueless about life and ministry. The problem was I didn't know it back then. And so that, you know. And, but... The reason they were able to speak into my life was because they showed me they loved me. I was 5,000 miles from home, first time being away from home, and they showed love and were hospitable. And then when the time came that I needed to, you know, I was being a knucklehead for whatever reason, that they could come alongside like Aquila and Priscilla did with Apollos and speak the truth in love and encourage me and exhort me and correct me in a loving and kind way. And so I want to ask us today, are we investing and earning the equity that it takes to be able to speak in one another's lives in this way? Are you earning the equity in other people's lives by serving them to be able to speak into their lives in this way? At a time when I could easily have felt alone, God showed His presence to me through the body by people coming alongside of me and speaking into my life, and pouring into me. And he did the same thing for Apollos. And then look at what God did with him. Verse 27, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. And verse 28, he powerfully refuted the Jews, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. You never know the impact that you're going to have when you are the body of Christ to others. You never know what God's going to do with it. So you trust Him with the results. So know this today, that God is with you. His Spirit is within you. You who are believers, God is with you. He's never away. He's never far off. He's going to use the body, the body of Christ, to encourage you, to serve you, maybe at times to counsel and exhort and teach and comfort you. And He's going to use you likewise in the lives of other people. And if you're not in Christ today, 
If you have never known the forgiveness of sins, if you've never known the comfort that can be yours by His Spirit with you, never leaving you, never forsaking you, hear me today when I ask you to come to Christ in faith. Talk to me after the service. Talk to one of the other elders. Christian, hear these words in closing. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's pray. Lord, what a comfort it is to know that you are with us, that you are near, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And I pray that those words would resound in our ears and would grow deep into our hearts, that as we walk out of these doors and back into the reality of life, and for many, that involves deep struggle, I pray that we would be grounded in this truth that you are with us. And I pray that we would continue to be a church that is serving one another, caring for one another, demonstrating the presence and the reality of God with us through our church life. I pray we would grow in that. Pray that we would continue to do that. Show us ways to to serve others, to invest in other people's lives, to demonstrate the presence of God, that you are Emmanuel, God with us that that would then be something that would be winsome to a a dying world around us in this region, that you would draw people to yourself through the testimony of Christ the King. So I pray this in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.